Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with all of you this morning. Good to have the 10-year-olds in here with us this morning. Thank you for being in here, young people. I do believe the Lord has this for you this morning as he has it for all of us. We'll be in Revelation chapter 3 today. If I didn't meet you on the way in, my name is Ken Delage. I serve as the lead pastor here. It is a joy to have you with us as we worship the Savior, as we look to him, and now as we seek to hear what he has to say through his word. Well, the city of Sardis was a fortress. It was positioned on top of a 1,500 foot high cliff on three sides. So this thing was impenetrable. They needed a wall on one side of the city to be completely defended. A very few could defend that city against a very many. Such a, a strong position. Such a comfortable position. You hardly needed to be awake to defend it. And that is how. In 549 BC, the city fell to the Persian Empire. Cyrus the Great came and upon seeing the city, he sent one man. One man who was good at climbing. And he scaled the cliff face and entered the city and opened the gates. And the city fell to the Persians as she was at ease in her apathy. That is a memorable lesson, unless you're from Sardis, because they needed to learn it again. Some 300 years later, the same thing happened. This time it was Antiochus the Great who came to conquer the city. And just like before, he sent, this time, 15 men, a small squad, to scale the cliffs. And together, they opened the gates. And just like last time, the city was caught unaware, not vigilant, not watchful, not awake, and in their comfort, they fell. Now, comfort is not a bad thing, but it is a dangerous thing. Comfort and ease and a smooth road can dull our senses and lull us to sleep. It brings the danger that we would become less watchful and less vigilant and less zealous in our pursuit of the Lord and more satisfied, more confident, more proud, more apathetic, comfortable Christians. Confident Christians. In danger, Christians. What happened to the city of Sardis is precisely what happened to the church in Sardis too. That is remarkable to me. It happened to their city twice. And now, in Revelation 3, it is the danger that that church is facing. So confident 
yet so in peril. And this danger is true for every church. And so let us turn our attention to Revelation chapter 3. Those who have an ear, let us hear and be awake and be vigilant and be watchful. Let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God's Word. This is the fifth of seven letters the risen Christ writes to his church. All of the previous four, that is to to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira, all of the previous four begin with Christ's words of encouragement to his church. Though each of the churches has problems and sometimes very significant problems, still Christ takes time to encourage his people to to point out evidences of grace in their life, places where they have been faithful to follow Jesus. He's done it every time. But not here. Not in Sardis. The Christ who who can see all. He can see all the good works done by His people. All the secret acts of devotion to the Lord sees none. He offers no encouragement, for there is nothing to encourage. And so by necessity, we will start with his words of correction rather than his words of encouragement. But but before we get there, before we we pass by the, the void, the gap, the empty space that would normally be filled with his words of encouragement, let us hear his silence. For the silence of Christ is as loud as his words. And this, dear friend, would be a silence we would do well to avoid. We would do very well. Here's a silence to be avoided. Here's a a silence to be feared. One day when you stand before the Lord, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when you stand before the Lord, to receive your commendation. 
Will he have something to commend? Will he have something to say? Works that he can encourage. Zeal that he could point to and reward. Or is it possible that you've settled into your well-defended city of a life with a nice income and good health care and an annual vacation and nothing really to worry about, comfortable and at ease. Zeal dies in such places. Comfort brings danger. Have you a zeal for the Lord? Ten-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, zeal. Zeal means a, a burning desire to follow God and do whatever you can to follow God, okay? As I'm talking, what I mean by zeal, burning desire. I want that more than anything. Christ begins his expression of concern for them, his words of concern in verse 1 at the beginning of the second paragraph, I guess, halfway through verse 1. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He goes on to say that, that to strengthen what remains, it is about to die. So I think when he says they are dead, it's slightly a hyperbole. They're mostly dead. Their, their reputation is far exceeding the reality within. So here's, here's the problem. There's a difference between the external view and the internal reality. Other Christians think they're Christians. Other people think that they're saved. Other churches know of the church in Sardis and think well of the church in Sardis. But when Christ, who's the only one who matters, looks at them, He says they're dead. Of course, the, the problem is that they are dead but the bigger problem is that while dead, they think they're alive and healthy. They have spiritual confidence, pride, self-assured, alive to God, alive to good works, alive to godliness, alive to gospel living. But the reality that they're dead to all of those things, they are sleeping on watch on the walls slumbering on duty. And so Christ mounts the city walls and blows the trumpet. Verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Picture the guards on that ancient city. They see the enemy out there, but they know the enemy can't get in. And they're nodding off on duty. And Christ comes to us and says, Wake up! The enemy is upon you. The enemy is at the gates. They have scaled the cliff. The gates are being opened now. The doom of the city is here. And your impenetrable city is about to fall. And he says, wake up, dear Christian. 
wake up. Remember, he says, wake up, strengthen what remains is about to die, and remember then what you received and heard. Remember what? What are they, what are they to call to mind? What are they to remember? It's what they've received and heard. They're to remember the gospel. Remember the gospel of, of Christ who suffered for them. Of Christ who suffered for their sins. That they could come to God freely and receive forgiveness. And remember how you received it with joy. Remember how, how it, it changed your life. The zeal that you had for God at the first. How you put away sin. And you separated yourself from the world. And you couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Remember that. And come back to that. Why does no one know you're a Christian? Why do you look so much like the world? Comfortable with your sin? You watch the same things they watch and do the same things they do and think the same things they think and say the same things they say. Can the world even tell you're not one of them? Why not? See, that's what's happening in Sardis. That's what's happening here. They have become comfortable with their surrounding God-hating culture. They're, they're comfortable. They've made their peace with it. They're, they're going along with the status quo. They're attending the temple to worship false idols. But don't worry, we also go to church on Sunday. They're keeping a low profile. They're just blending in with those around them. And day by day, slowly, their conscience is being conformed to the world. Until Christ, looking at them, says, that's dead. Day by day, they're not renewing their minds by the word. But they're being conformed to the world. Day by day, their witness is being slowly stifled. Slowly going away. The, the candle that is this church, is the light has grown dim. It's sputtering and spitting. Candle drowning in its own wax. And believers drowning in their own apathy. Slowly. And yet they think themselves alive, vital and strong. Church, let us be done with self-deception. With the thinking that maybe I don't need God's word between the Sundays. We don't need to renew our minds. The thinking that I can tolerate some sin, just a little sin, hidden in the corner. Thinking I can drink some of the polluted well of the culture with her debased music and defiling images. And somehow we can live like that and think that we are strong believers. Listen, if you insist upon that, if you insist that you don't need God's Word daily, if you insist that you don't need to pray, if you insist that you can be so comfortable in a God-hating culture, that no one even knows that you're different. At least if you insist upon that, then know your true state. Don't call it health. 
Don't call it strength. Don't call it security. It is a spiritual pride that leads to spiritual deadness. though the preacher might say to you, awake from your slumber, and, and while sleeping you mumble back, but I'm quite awake already. It is not the preacher's voice this morning with whom you have to do. So young people, 10-year-olds, teens, are you different from the world around you? Are you comfortable with the world? I'm asking you, not your parents. I'm asking you. You who know what you do in your room when they don't see. You who know how you act at school when your parents aren't there. You who know. Is, is what you're taking in different than what the world's taking in? Is, is, is it the same music? The same, the same videos? The same movies? How, how will the output be different? If the input is the same. Are you renewing your mind? A 10 year old is not too young. To renew their mind. Are you renewing your mind? Are you following hard. After Christ. Are you so committed to him. That you're willing to forsake. At least some of the filth of this world. Or are you sleeping? Still under the care of mom or dad. Sleeping. Thinking it just doesn't matter. It's just not a, it's not a big deal. Uh, dreaming that you can be comfortable in this world and comfortable with Jesus at the same time. That's a dream. Wake up from it. Adults. Let's heed these same words ourselves. There's a strange fear of legalism in the church. Legalism should be feared and avoided. But for the fear of legalism, have we gotten rid of all boundaries? All pursuit of holiness? Let's be men of conviction. Women of holiness. Lives devoted to the Lord. Living with zeal. Is the businessman... So zealous for money, and we less for our God. Let us be zealous for the Lord. Let me, let me press this this morning. Let's, let's take the temperature this morning. Here's, here's a, meal, a, a mirror. Look, at, look, look in the, the mirror. Here's a mirror. You're spending. Adults, how, how, how's your spending been in the past three months, five months? If, if, if you were to look at it, if a non-Christian were to look at it, at your spending, would it make sense to them? They'd kind of resonate with it. Yeah, that makes sense. I see why they do that. Yep, yep, yep. Check, check, check. They would call it wise. Or are you living for a different kingdom in such a way that they would go, I don't get it at all. That looks stupid. Why are, they, why are they giving money here and doing money this way there? Why, why does it seem like they're living for something that I don't even understand? 
The way you're spending your money is an honest mirror of your priority. And adults, the way you're spending your time is another honest mirror of your priorities. How are you spending your time? It's not so much about where. It has much to do with the heart. So, so you work. Praise God. Is that 40 hours? Is that 50 hours? Is that 60 hours? Is that as unto the king? As unto the Lord? Giving glory to God in your diligence, in the way that you work hard, seeking to, to serve your clients and your customers and your co-workers, because at the end of the day, you're working for an audience of one. And you're doing this for Him. So you're busy, I get it. Do you pray? Like, re Do you pray? Is that on the checkbook of your time over the last three months, five months? Do you open your Bible between Sundays? You're looking for ways to serve others. If you looked at your time in a log, would it say zealous Christian or sleeping Christian? Let's heed the warning of Christ this morning. And where needed, let's shake ourselves awake. He's called repentance for the sleeping. If that's you in some area this morning, then call out to God. The warning is for your good. The warning is for our good. It is, it is our loving Savior who gives the, the warning. Remember then what you received and heard. Remember the gospel, which is big enough to forgive everything, even this. Remember the gospel by which you have the grace of God available to conquer sin, even this. Let's follow the Lord together. His warning gets more specific in the middle of verse 3. This is the warning for those that hear this and do not respond. If, he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. The picture here just keeps repeating itself. It's amazing. The city of Sardis slept and was taken unawares. The church in Sardis is sleeping. And will be taken unawares. Like a thief. While comfortable. While slumbering. Twice in the city's life. Now in the church's life here in Sardis. And yet who approaches now? Who approaches stealthily and unaware? It's not an enemy army. For that would be far better. It's not the enemy of their souls. The devil. For that too would be better approaching like a thief quietly unaware is the reigning and risen Christ and he comes to judge those who call themselves believers and are slumbering on watch his coming to the unawake to the unrepentant will be 
unexpected and unwelcome. For his coming is in judgment. He says, I will come against you. Who can stand before such a one? When the Lord rises in judgment to remove the nominal Christian from among his people, to cut off the evil from among his people, to go to war against those who are unrepentant in his church, who can stand on such a day as this? Listen, fear not what the culture is going to do to the church someday. Fear not what the culture will think of you. Fear what Christ thinks of you. Fear not your friends. Fear not your boss. Fear not your, your family or your neighbors. But fear your God. Live for your God. He has a stern warning. And then a wonderful promise. That begins in verse 4. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So unsoiled garments. That's a picture of the, I'll say, church within the church. That's following hard after Jesus. It's not compromising with the culture. It's, it's not being driven down the road towards idolatry. They've not soiled their garments. They, their commitment to Christ forbids them to compromise with the world. Fought the apathy. Fought back the comfort and the, the ease and the security. And they're dressed in white. Now, make no mistake, they're dressed in white because those garments were washed by the blood of the Lamb. They didn't earn these garments in that sense. Christ earned these garments for His people. And He gives this gift. So, so these promises are those who, who have remained steadfast. Listen, it's the, the promise is for the repentant. That's who it is. There's nobody in Sardis that doesn't need any repentance. Okay? There's those that have repented and pursue the Lord, and then, oh, need to repent again and pursue the Lord. Oh, need to repent again and pursue the Lord. That, that's what it looks like to be a Christian, right? We're not talking about just simple perfection. We are talking about not being asleep on duty. And letting zeal just flicker out and be gone and say, I'm a healthy Christian. So the promise is sweet. It's promise of, of white garments. This is, these are the, the garments worn to the wedding feast. The, the promise of, of entryway into the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is exuberant. This is wonderful. This is Christ purchased for His people. It's, it's the promise of having your name not blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. These are the ones who need not fear the judgment. 
because of the work of Christ on their behalf. And the promise is of Jesus confessing your name before God. What kind of a moment is this? Can you even picture this? Jesus uttering your name before his Father and before the angels. This is a picture of, this is a glorious scene, friends. This is a glorious scene. And there is the risen Christ who has all power and authority. Father, Father. Here, here is, and, and here is, and here is, They're mine. They're mine. These are good promises. These are precious promises. These promises are for you if you're repentant. Promises are for you if you're repentant. These promises are for you if you've been sleeping, but you're heeding the Lord's call to awake. These promises are for you. These promises are for you as you follow Christ out of apathy and out of lethargy and out of the comfort that just kind of slowly suffocates the life out of the believer. These promises are for the repenting. See, the first thing Christ has to do is to shake us out of false confidence. Wake up, he says. You're about to die. Strengthen what remains quickly. So, be shaken out of your false confidence. And then, find a new place for your confidence. Because that's here too. Where? Where? Where can we, where can we locate our confidence here? We're, we're to stop looking at our, ourselves. That's a really bad place for confidence. And we're going to look to Christ together. Because if we're going to be the ones who conquer and who are introduced to the Father one day, it's going to be by the power of Christ. So where's Christ in here? Well, he's back up in verse 1. He introduced himself when he began. He says, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So if, you're, if you were here with us, you know that the, the seven stars are symbolic of the, the angels of the seven churches. So, so these, are, these are the churches of Christ. And where are they? In his hand. How near is Christ to his people? Pretty close. Pretty close. They are in. He is near to you. You are in his hand. See, the, the one calling you to repent is not distant, he is near. He is near. So repent. He is near. So have hope as you repent. The one who is calling you to it is the one. <laughs> These hands holding you are nail scarred. Friends. He has purchased your repentance. The one who is calling us is the one who holds us. What's in his other hand? It is the 
seven spirits of God. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, the number seven refers to the fullness. It's the full number. So, so when he says this, it's, it's the fullness of the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit in his hand. Yet, by using the number seven, the same as the number of the churches, it's as if to say, it's the Holy Spirit present in each of the churches all at once. It's the omnipresent Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit present wherever you are, Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the strength of the church. Do you need strength? It is the Spirit who gives strength. The church is not the strength of the church. The Spirit is the strength of the church. It's the Spirit who gives strength. It's the Spirit who gives grace. It's the Spirit who brings repentance. It's the Spirit who assures us that we are sons and daughters of God. It's the Spirit who brings aid and help when we need it and comfort in all of our afflictions. It's the Spirit who gives peace and grace and joy and long-suffering. It's the Spirit who gives and gives and gives and gives and whatever you need, the Spirit has it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Here's here, Trinity. From the Father, because of the Son, through the Spirit, to you. Where is this Spirit? Where is the source of everything you need? In the hand of Christ. Who also holds you. So you need the Spirit? Oh, then look to Christ in repentance. Do you need the Spirit? Then look to Christ in humility. Do you need the, the gifts that the Spirit brings? His presence, His power, His encouragement, the, the hope, the peace, the love, the joy, the faith, the confidence. Do you need that? Then look to Jesus because He's got it. It's in His hand. For you. So, this morning, the call to be awake is real. The call to repent is real. The call to zeal is real. But listen, the call to repent is never done in a void. It's not in a vacuum. It's not just stop sinning. That's not how this works, okay? Here's repentance. Stop going this way. Turn around to Jesus. It is from something to someone. So as we repent, we look to Him, the one who holds the churches in His hand and the Spirit in His hand. So, let's repent in faith. If He's waking us up, then say, Thank you, Lord. Let us live awake unto Him. Let us live humbly unto Him. Let us live repentantly unto Him. Let us live expectantly of great things from Him. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. Lord, we just take a, a moment. I don't want to delay in applying this. 
Lord, where repentance is needed, help us repent. It's a broad message from your word, which is for all people, but we know, Spirit, you can apply this to each one. But right now, I believe the Spirit is pressing on some here. You feel that. That's, that's the Spirit of God pressing you to repent. Oh, just yield to the Spirit. Just yield. Don't fight Him. Don't push back. Allow the Lord to do in you the sweet work of repentance. It is scary beforehand and so sweet afterwards. Lord, I pray you would do a work of repentance among us, that on the other side of that, our joy in you would simply abound. In your name, amen. Amen.